Someone said to me this morning, I didn't know it was November. Did we for, forget our pledge cards? I consider it an honor to have been asked to preach this morning. In my opinion, we have great preaching team here at PCLG, led by Pastor Dave, whose sermons every Sunday challenge us to put our faith into action wherever God may place us. Thank you, Dave. I also acknowledge Pastor Erica and Steve Fainer for stepping up to the pulpit when called upon. They, too, in my mind, are awesome. Friends, we're blessed with a fantastic pastoral team here at PCLG. And what joy it is for me to be the old preacher man in the bullpen to be called upon when the primary team needs a well-earned rest. Let us pray. Almighty God, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, amen. I've chosen this morning to read the scripture lessons from the Living Bible paraphrase because I think it's more descriptive of the text in the sermon. These are some great passages in the New Testament, probably some of the greatest, most moving and extremely personal. I'm going to discuss three words with you this morning. Guilt, grace, and glory. I must begin by making a confession to you. And I realize when I reveal myself to you, that is, let you see inside the real me that I'm making a significant risk. But I want to confess to you this morning that I'm a sinner. I'm unworthy of wearing the robe of the clergy or even delivering the sermon to you this morning. I've seen some of you looking at each other wondering what is he going to confess? <laughs> or Dave is thinking, what has he done now? <laughs> the Bible tells us we will one day stand before God's judgment seat and each of us give an account of ourselves to God. In the book of Hebrews we read, it is destined to all one day to die and after that the judgment. Those verses make us a little uncomfortable, don't they? We don't like to hear sermons about sin and judgment. However, they're in the Bible, and we can't ignore them. I thought about, for quite some time, what I was going to say this morning. As I reflected back upon 62-plus years in my ministry, I was cleanly, keenly aware that I still am a sinner, and I'm incapable of helping myself in spite of the fact that I confess my sin each day 
I'm mindful that I still sin. Dr. Carl Menninger asks the question in his book, Whatever Became of Sin? And he suggests that sin remains, however, we've given it new names to make us more comfortable in a secular society. I can respond to his question, I found it. I found sin and I battled it daily. Like many of you, I don't consider myself really a bad sinner. Why do you laugh? <laughs> Recently, I computed that as of today, I am 30,897 days old. Let's suppose I only committed one sin every day of my life. I'd be a pretty good guy, don't you think? I confess there are days that I've doubled that number by the time I've had the first sip of my coffee. I can't comprehend for one moment standing before God and say, God, I've only committed 30,897 sins, the very minimum. I stand guilty before God as a sinner. I thought about those commandments given Moses. And I realized, friends, that I've broken all of them. You say, really? The scripture tells us whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking them all. I've never committed murder, but I confess I've entertained some murderous thoughts. I've never committed adultery, but to be honest, I've entertained many immoral thoughts in my lifetime. I've coveted. I even envy things that others had that I didn't have. And I haven't always been totally truthful. For example, I recall the summer of 1950. I was 13 years old. From the time I can remember, I always wanted to drive a car. Frequently, I would ask my dad if I could sit in the car that was sitting out in front by the curb and just pretend that I was driving off to some wonderful distant places. I found out if I press in the clutch, sometime the car would roll maybe an inch or two. But it wasn't the real thing. During that summer, my dad phoned one day from his work, and he asked if I'd like to have a job for several weeks, sorting out various items that were needed in his sheet metal work and putting them in proper bins. I would be paid 50 cents an hour. Whoopee! I was going to be rich. Every morning, the men who worked with my father would get in their trucks, and they would drive off to where they were going. One day, one of the trucks had the company pickup behind it, and I volunteered to back out the drive so that they could be on their way. That was so much fun. So later in the day, I got into the pickup, and I drove it down one of the side roads and back. Wow, I was really driving. And I thought I was pretty cool. After several days, 
I got bold, and I went out one of the main streets. And as I was enjoying my joyride, I noticed a police car in the other lane that did a U-turn and followed me. I panicked, and I drove up into the school driveway, and so did the policeman. He asked me my age. I said, 15, lie number one. He had me leave the pickup truck, truck in the driveway, drove me back to the workplace, and the secretary had to drive the truck back. She had never driven a truck with floor shift. It sounded like grinding coffee in the morning. My punishment, the policeman said he's had enough embarrassment just being caught. Tell him to call his mother and explain what happened. I did. I cried. <laughs> I was so distraught. And the secretary in the next office heard me, please, asking mom for forgiveness. What she didn't know that while I was calling, I had pressed down the button on the receiver. <laughs> so I did not call mother. Lie number two, deception number one. I thought I got away with it. That afternoon, I took the bus and went home. And the first thing my mother said to me, how far did you drive the truck? Busted. Busted. You see, the secretary felt so bad for me. She heard my protestations and my crying and on the phone and begging mother to please forgive me. She went and called my mom and said, don't be too rough on him. <laughs> the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. And I found that out the hard way. So I was guilty. The point is this. God doesn't judge me nor you on a scale of 1 to 10. Therefore, I stand before God guilty as a sinner. I presented a dilemma to you this morning, and maybe some of you might identify with me. Sometimes I just don't understand myself. I really want to do what is right, but I can't do what I don't want to, what I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong, and my bad conscience proves that I agree with these laws that I'm breaking. I can't help myself because I'm no longer doing it. It's sin inside me that's stronger than I am that makes me do these evil things. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. Sound familiar? And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. I love to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned, but there's something deep inside me, my lower nature, that's at war with my mind and wins the fight. It makes me a slave to the sin that's within me. In my mind, I want to be God's willing servant, but instead I find myself Jack Longley, enslaved to sin. Am I talking to anyone here this morning other than myself? It's as if we're fighting a civil war of the soul. There's a battle going on deep within. Do you know what I'm talking about? You see how it is? 
My new life as a believer tells me to do right, but the old nature that's still inside me loves to sin. Who will free me from this inconsistent lifestyle? Help. Okay. Everybody take a deep breath. If you identify what I've been saying, let me tell you, you are in good company. These words were penned by the great Apostle Paul, who dared to share with us his own spiritual autobiography and laying bare his very heart and soul. He's telling us of an experience that is the very essence of the human situation. He knew what was right and wanted to do it, but he struggled. He knew what was wrong and didn't want to do it, but in the end, he ended up doing it. It's as if he was, had a split personality, as if there were two men within him pulling in opposite directions. He was frustrated, as are we in so many situations. How good to hear the Apostle Paul's confession. How good to know the Apostle Paul struggled just like us. As I read this passage from the book of Romans, I call out, yes, yes, that's me. And I somehow think you respond the same. You will know Paul is writing in the present tense. He's not describing life of the past, but of the struggle in the present as it is for us. Think of it. Perhaps he was engaged in this spiritual combat as he wrote the church at Rome, the letter we read this morning. So we all stand before God guilty. Guilty as sinners. And we cry out with the Apostle Paul, who will help me? Who will help me? And in the midst of his frustration, he has the catharsis, and he suddenly remembers grace. Grace. God's amazing grace. He shouts as we shout, should shout with him. Thank God it's been done through Jesus Christ our Lord. He has set me free. Note this is not based on anything we have done, nor anything we could do. It's based upon what Christ has done. That's grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Free at last. Thank God we're free at last, but only by the grace of God. The Bible tells us, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and not from yourselves. It's the gift, the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Now listen to this awesome news. Though we all are sinners, we no longer are condemned. Though we all are sinners, we are no longer condemned. Hear Paul's response to his question for help. 
There is now no condemnation awaiting those who belong to Christ Jesus. For the power of the life-giving spirit, and this power is mine and ours through Christ, has freed us from the vicious cycle of sin and death. We aren't saved from sin's grasp by knowing the commandments of God because we can't and we don't keep them. But God, two words, but God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own son in a human body like ours, except ours are sinful and destroyed sin's control over us by giving himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Church, do I hear an amen? amen? The day you invited Christ in your life, the day that you declared Christ Jesus your Lord, your sins were moved, removed as far as the east and from the west. You were filled with an inner power. The power of the Holy Spirit became alive within you. In the book of Colossians, we read, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. You and I have an inner strength, an inner power in the person of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has promised to all who know him. Amen? Sound more like Presbyterians there. <laughs> Someday I want to preach to a charismatic congregation. <laughs> I want to tell you this morning that Christ is alive on planet Earth. Christ is alive in you. Think of it. Listen to me carefully. Christ has destroyed the power of sin over you, over me. Sinners we are, but sinners saved by the grace of God. Grace delivered us from fear. Grace tells us we don't have to spend our lives looking over our shoulders. Grace tells me that we're free from guilt. Oh, I'm so glad the Apostle Paul asked that question about who would free us. And I'm blessed that he answered his own question. Yes, we'll stray. Yes, we will sin. Yes, we will do what we should not be doing because we're all prodigal. But when we remember whose we are, we confess our sins, we find our God waiting for us to return, not to punish us, but to celebrate, to party, because of glory that is now ours. And we know that all that happens to us is working for our good if we love God and are fitting into his plans. Friends, you belong to God. God chose you before he began the work of creation. Before God said, let there be light, God called you to come to him. He knows you by name. He knows every deed of your life before that life even began. And when we came to him, when we heard him calling us, when we responded to his call, he declares us not guilty. He filled us with Christ's goodness, and he gave us right standing and promised us his glory. Do I hear another amen? amen. Ooh, getting close. 
Listen to me carefully. Listen very carefully. God is on your side. You hear me? Say it with me. God is on my side. God is on my side. Yeah. Look at the neighbor sitting by you and tell them God is on your side. Remember this, dear ones. Remember your position. You are a child of God. No one, no thing can take that from you. No one or no thing can ever take you from that. Hear me again. God is on your side. You've been chosen by God. You're a child of God. You've been set free from your past. Amen? Amen. We're getting there, Dave. You don't have to believe me. Listen to the word of God. What could we ever say to such wonderful things as these? If God is on our side, who can ever be against us? Since God did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also surely give us everything else? Hang on, folks, it gets even better. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen as his own? Will God? No. God is the one who has forgiven and given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? Will Christ? No. For he is the one who died for us and came back to life again. For us, it is sitting at the place of highest honor next to God, pleading for us in heaven. Listen, listen carefully. Jesus is not our prosecutor. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our defense attorney, declaring us not guilty. So, who then can ever keep Christ's love from us? When we have trouble or calamity, when we are hunted down or destroyed, is it because he doesn't love us anymore? And if we're hungry and penniless or in danger or threatened but with death, has God deserted us? Hang on now. Hang on tight for the grand conclusion and get ready for the hallelujah chorus. No! No! No, for the scripture tells us for his sake we must be ready to face death at any moment of the day. We are like sheep awaiting slaughter, but despite all this overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us enough to die for us. Now hang on, for I am convinced nothing, nothing, say it with me, nothing, nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't. Life can't, the angels won't, and all the powers of hell cannot keep God's love away. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, or where we are high above the sky in the deepest ocean, nothing, absolutely nothing will ever be able to separate us, you and me, from the love of God demonstrated by our Lord Christ when he died for us. Do I hear one more amen? amen? Guilty? Yes. 
But God specializes in guilt removal, thank God. Condemned? No. Christ paid the price for our sins. Gloriously set free? Yep. Nothing can ever separate us from God because God is on your side. We sang earlier this morning, my chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. Thank God. So I ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? And have you acknowledged him the Lord of your life? Have you been set free? If yes, praise God that you're free at last. Thank God. If no, say yes to him today right where there where you're seated and receive him by faith into your life. Let's pray. Lord, you've made us your child through your spirit. In your kindness, you adopted us and delivered us from sin and death. Remind us this morning what it means to be your child, to be free from the law of sin and death. And help us to live in the light of your grace, your amazing grace. Through the name of the mighty God, in whose grace we are saved, we pray. Amen. Sing with me, will you? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now.